This is the Build Our Future podcast. We shape our buildings, and afterwards our buildings shape us. A window into the past, present, and future of the construction industry. There's still a lot of unlocked doors. Clarity with design, craftsmanship with the build. There's still a lot to find out and do and invent. Collaboration for our future. You know, I don't think it's the end of the invention. The Build Our Future podcast with Raul Faria. Let's build. Begins now. Welcome to the Builder Future Podcast. Today, we're going to be focusing on construction logistics and more specifically, perfecting the last mile or as OnFleet likes to call it. I'm pleased to have Andrew Travis with us to discuss the many, many aspects revolving around logistics. Andrew, can you share with me a little bit what this concept that you guys push in terms of perfecting the last mile and really what that means? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, you know, when we think about perfecting the last mile, we're really talking about the most expensive and most challenging part of a supply chain. Obviously, moving things to warehouses is tough. Managing inventory levels is tough, but really it's that getting it to the end consumer where there's an interface with, you know, a live human being on the other end that cares about when it's delivered, how it's delivered, and then sort of orchestrating this needed delivery with all of the different aspects of communication as well, right? So uh, you've got a lot of parties involved in this. You've got an end consumer needs to know what's going on. You've got operations, you've got managers and executives, right? And so we're really trying to just make it easier to perform and communicate and coordinate that last mile. So this idea, where did it start from? Like, what was the original concept for OnFleet when you know, the idea was first starting to develop? Yeah, that's a good question. So the three founders, two of which grew up in Dubai, actually determined that consumers outside of the Western world really don't have modern addresses. You've got a concept of a zip code and a street number and a house number here in the United States and in Western Europe, but really abroad sometimes it's as accurate as maybe a zone or a sector and then across from a church, that kind of thing. So they said, hey, how can we improve this? So they built a company called Addy. And Addy was short for address, really the connection of a URL. So addy.co slash Andrew Travis, for instance, with a coordinate pair. So a lat lawn. Mm-hmm. And the idea was consumers could claim their Addy and then have a, a way to easily share their precise address with friends, family, and delivery companies. So they actually had uh, quite a large number of users around the world using this service. And so the idea was, hey, how do we monetize this better? Let's sell this as a connection or as a plug-in to delivery businesses. Mm -hmm. And so they started talking to delivery businesses and saying, hey, we can give you this great tool that makes delivering the last mile to your customers easier, no matter where they live. And you just have to integrate with us. And the delivery companies turned around and said, uh, what do you mean? Uh, We don't have software to integrate with. And so they sort of realized that delivery companies had been left behind in this technology revolution of the last, you know, 20 years, mainly because this kind of stuff lives behind the scenes and is neglected. So routes maybe are created by hand or even with some routing tools, but then given on a sheet of paper out to a driver who has to then perform it. At the same time, you have Uber who's really changing expectations around how 
pickups and drop-offs, sort of logistics experiences should interface with customers. Live tracking, ETAs, knowing exactly where the driver is on the way to you. And so pretty quick identification there of we have an industry that needs to modernize, that needs these tools and a consumer expectation that's changing. Let's bridge that gap with modern technology and see what happens. And so OnFleet, as it is today, was really born out of the attempt to commercialize a consumer product, which then identified an underlying B2B opportunity. Nice. So OnFleet's been around for what, seven, 10 years, roughly? Um, I think at this point, about eight to nine years as a company, and then OnFleet as it is today, and officially under the name of OnFleet is about six years now. Okay. So did you find that there was a little bit of a challenge in, in getting some of these companies, be it end users or delivery companies, to buy in? Because we know how rapidly technology is changing in six years ago, eight years ago, 10 years ago, you know, internet speeds on your mobile phone wasn't as quick. And I guess, like you mentioned, the integrations with the software probably didn't necessarily have the capabilities because the cost for data was so much more expensive back then. So were there any other challenges aside from that, that these delivery companies had in a buy-in on your product? Yeah, I mean, with an emerging company with sort of emerging technology, there's always challenges. I mean, we had to struggle with just making our software work consistently. And we learned really quickly that this isn't an application that can crash and a user isn't upset because they just won't use it for an hour or two and then try it again or wait till the next update. This is mission critical software. So if a company adopted us, they expected it to work sometimes 16, 18 hours a day nonstop. Our users really live in our software all day and on every aspect. So the driver in the field and the dispatchers, managers back in the office. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely a challenge. And I think some industries and some regions adopted quicker than others, but we've always had very rapid adoption, kind of self-service adoption from companies who said, look, I don't mind if it's not perfect. Ultimately, I can see that you guys are driving this technology and this type of customer experience forward, and it's just completely different than anything else I've seen. So we mitigated the lack of integration by allowing spreadsheet uploads and manual task creation for folks that work with like phone banks and things like that. So many, many of our users really just put in CSVs and ran from there. So we tried to make it easy for more manual and automatic activities, but then bringing all the parties together. And then once again, most importantly, from the get-go, powering a more modern customer experience. That's really what drove the adoption. It sounds like the ease of use of the platform has always been a priority. It feels like OnFleet has a unique position in the marketplace for that ease of use. Can you talk to me a little bit about that and why that was important when you were developing your platform? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I look back, I was on Fleet's second hire and the person that was hired before me was a graphic designer, UI UX designer. So you can tell sort of how important to the founding team design and user experience is. And, you know, as part of this identification of not just a gap in technology, but anything that did exist was cumbersome and hard to use, really hadn't progressed into modern user experience patterns. And so 
users who are consumers like the rest of us who use modern apps on their phones every day then had to go to work and spend eight hours or more staring at a screen that was hard to use. So they said, let's solve this problem on all fronts and let's really bring this industry into the modern age. And that really helped with adoption as well. Because even if it's not perfect or it doesn't have all the features as their old software yet, at least they're not pulling their hair out trying to figure out or really training new users. So a lot of our initial users were also startups who said, well, hell, I'm not going to use any of this old stuff. Let me try this modern software that's born out of Silicon Valley. It's probably got better thought put into the design. We're not the only ones now who are really focusing on that, but I would argue that we're still the leader in design and user experience in this category. That's pretty fantastic. I know when developing platforms, you can get pretty inundated with the amount of data that can be either shown accumulated or viewed, right? So that's an interesting kind of thing to make sure that, that the ease of use was there. Now, did you notice a time where some of the construction suppliers and distributors started to use this kind of logistics platform? I know maybe not distributors as a whole because you're focused on more like the last mile kind of thing when you're actually delivering to a client or a project site. Was there a time where you started to see them started adopting the platform? Yeah, a couple of years ago, you know, we've always had about 25 different industry segments that tend to gravitate towards us. And some of that is market forces and some of it's just the nature of the type of delivery. And I didn't initially focus on construction as I didn't know much about it, frankly. You know, when I think of construction, I think of myself going to Home Depot. I don't think of, you know, how a house is actually put together and the complicated logistics that that house or commercial building really requires. But the supply chain problem in construction is equally as critical. Otherwise, delays and errors and whatnot happen. And so what's interesting about construction is it's not so much a consumer that's receiving the last mile delivery. It's the it's kind of a B2B2B in the sense where you have builders trying to get the work done. But the desire for that modern experience with live ETAs and accurate estimates communication with all the parties involved is just as critical. And so we started seeing building and construction supply outfits, whether they're kind of like depots for commercial arms or their larger distribution for more vertically integrated organization, start to adopt our software as well. And we've tried to double down on that where possible and build it out. You know, I can completely agree with that. I can't tell you the number of hours I've spent waiting for one specific delivery on a project site and you know my subs are standing around i'm standing around you call the dispatch they're like oh yeah they're 20 minutes away and then it's two hours later and does that disconnect right so as they say time is money construction everyone wants to go quick 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 not so much different than other industries that you guys provide so to me that's almost like a no-brainer to have that real-time updates right now specifically talking about that can you walk me through how your process works or the process of actually using your system, you know, right from the office dispatch kind of thing, right down to the end user experience as well. 
Yeah, certainly. And when we talk about a modern customer experience, whether it be a job site or a person in their home, what we're talking about is live status updates, either as a push notification or as a text message, right? And within that, a ETA that's, let's say, hey, it's 15 minutes out or hey, the driver's on the way, track them live, right? And that kind of experience we see from food delivery. And on its surface, it seems pretty easy, right? You're like, oh, well, I just tell you where the driver is and tell you when you're next. That's not a big deal. And for maybe a pizza delivery, it isn't. But now imagine a large truck moving around to 40, 50 stops. Actually creating that type of experience is very, very challenging and takes you really all the way back to the beginning where it needs to be really accurate addresses and needs to be accurate knowledge of who's staffed and what vehicles I'm using and what their capacity is. Mm-hmm. So just to achieve that customer experience, you really have a lot of intermediate steps. And so if we kind of rewind to the beginning, then what we're talking about is getting, as I said, accurate information from an order management system or an e-commerce platform. From there, passing that through either in a manual fashion, typing it in or a spreadsheet or an integration. And then you need to be able to plan these routes. And so in our tool, we allow you to do that with a very easy to use wizard that lets you just plug in the different constraints that you have. And then obviously we under have sort of stored in there all of your vehicle and driver data as well, and then plan an efficient route based on those constraints and those criteria that you choose. From there, those get dispatched out to a driver mobile app, right? So they don't have to even be in the building to receive these. They have the most up-to-date information at all times. And that's on a modern, standards-focused, easy-to-use application, right? You could get a driver started without any direct training. Just let them download the app. They have a tutorial and they're able to select the deliveries that they need to do and complete them easily, collect proof of delivery in that application. Meanwhile, communication's made easier between the customer and the driver because A, there's status updates going out already. So you avoid some calls to begin with. Mm -hmm. But if you need to, then you can do that right from the application as a driver and right from the customer experience as a customer. So is it more like texting communication or can they do like voice notes kind of thing? Because obviously when you're driving sometimes that could be a little challenging, right? Yeah, yeah. Good question. So we found that generally a driver needs to communicate with a customer once they've sort of arrived. Mm-hmm. Right. So not so much when they're on the way. And we want to make sure that we're sending those types of updates while they're driving automatically. So the driver doesn't really need to do anything. But once they've arrived, there's that difficult coordination between, okay, am I in the right place? Is the right person around? Or is that person somewhere else? And if you've sent updates ahead of time, then it helps coordinate that last few minutes. But sometimes you'll need to text then and point the drivers out of the car or sitting in yeah. a parking lot somewhere. But yeah, to answer your question, it's text or call, sort of standard communication that people want at that point. And then between the driver and operations, we have a full inbuilt chat that includes things like voice notes as well. Okay. So now in terms of the actual let's call it backup data, I guess in the past, there would be waybills upon waybills and signatures and so on and so forth. Do you guys have a system like that where it kind of eases the burden of that administrative side as well in terms of checks and balances when deliveries were dropped off and signed off and so on and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're really trying to balance a combination of human entered data and automatically collected data. 
I think automatically collected data is critical, but it really doesn't tell the whole picture. And in many cases, you need sort of both aspects, right? So I can see that the driver was there and I can see when, but until I have a signature or a photo or a barcode scan performed by a driver, then I really don't know if this is successful. And so we make it easy to do both. So we're collecting every timestamp, every location for that driver on the way to the delivery and at the delivery point. We're calculating how long it took for them to park and stay on site because this helps with ETA calculation in the future. But then we're also allowing that driver to very easily collect those proof of delivery points. And that's everything you can imagine from ID scans, barcode scans, signatures, photos, et cetera. So you mentioned something interesting, and I guess that's more for planning purposes down the line and also figuring out your team and your driver's effectiveness in terms of historical data. So I'm assuming all of this data continuously is culminated together and put together. So maybe the next time a little bit more optimized or let's just say, for lack of a better term, a customer has a history of making you wait in the parking lot, then you're able to adjust your schedules accordingly? Indeed. Indeed. You know, our objective is to continuously improve a delivery operations efficiency in all aspects so that you can grow. And, you know, maybe with the same drivers, I can do more deliveries next time. As I add customers, I can add increasing levels of satisfaction and high service levels instead of decreasing, right? And when you're in a manual process, it's really easy to have these things get out of hand. And yeah. you actually not know where the leak in your bucket is, right? But when you're using a system like this, you have every data point that you need. And that includes the customer that's always slow. So you can <laughs> sort of react to those types of situations by either baking in extra time for that mm -hmm. delivery. So when you're creating a route, you just sort of account for that. Mm -hmm. Or you could even, if they have a requested time, you could adjust the times as they go into the delivery management system. So you just arrive a little later to coordinate with that. So definitely opportunities to, on a stop-by-stop, customer-by-customer basis, uh, right. tweak things as mm -hmm. you learn more and more about the scenario. And then our objective as a software company, of course, is to do as much of that for you as we can. So as you use our software, this is another key differentiator between OnFleet and others, is that we will adapt your ETA calculation based on your actual historical deliveries. So we've got great location data for every nice. major city in the world at this point, at least in countries that we serve and the regions we serve. But we'll also learn from our customers' data because you could put two construction companies side by side and the reality is they're similar, but they're not mm -hmm. exactly the same. So we want to learn from that too. So as the quarters go on of you using us, these get more and more accurate. So your operations can make better decisions and your customers have a better experience. Awesome. I want to go back a little bit. You mentioned that you were the second hire with OnFleet. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself, how you found the role or did they find you and what's your role now and how has it evolved over the years since you've been with them? Yeah, sure. So I'd say prior to OnFleet, I had my own startup for about two and a half years and we were building field service software for safety and event management teams. And so in a way, it was sort of an adjacent industry. Field service is kind of like delivery and the rough technologies you need to manage these teams out in the world. And so after unsuccessfully trying to build this company in the US and Brazil at the same time, wow. I decided it was time to look for other things. And so I wound up that 
company and then started looking for something new. And that was when I stumbled across OnFleet and I said, oh, wow, these guys are doing something similar to what I was doing. I know the delivery industry, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to lose any of the knowledge that I've gained over the last two and a half years. And right. the stage of company was perfect. It was essentially they were doing the same thing I was for the last two and a half years, except that they were able to pivot, rebuild their software and raise money where I didn't pivot, rebuild my software and raise money. So (laughs) I sort of felt like I was picking up where I left off without the stress of being the CEO. Right. And so they had a job opening on AngelList for an account executive and an account manager. My experience has been, well, now 16 years of sales and sales management, service management, I worked at Bank of America as a vice president before my own company. And I said to Khalid, our CEO, I don't want either one of these jobs. I want both of them. And then I'll build the infrastructure and build the teams to kind of scale up this company. That's an ambitious statement in an interview. Yeah, Uh, it is. So (laughs) I think I said something along the lines of, you're not going to know if I'm good until six months in. And if I'm not, fire me. And six months in, I was nervous. And I said, hey, am I doing everything you want me to do? He's like, oh, yeah, man, this is great. This is great. I said, oh, okay, phew. So we can move on from that initial statement. (laughs) But it was a good fit. It really was. I mean, I think I had the skill set that they did not have on their three-person founding team. And -hmm. they had all the skill sets that I wish I had in my previous company. And so it was very symbiotic. And Mm -hmm. I think we have done well as a leadership team because of the trust and the balance of our talents. I think you mentioned it perfectly. The most successful companies, I think, have that right balance where you don't have too many overlapping skills. And it doesn't hurt that you had a startup of your own and was an entrepreneur as well. So oftentimes there's a bit of a disconnect between some of the team members and, as you mentioned, the leadership staff in terms of quote unquote work ethic, shall we say, or the perception of work ethic. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's the right way of saying it, but I think that probably helped you out as well, right? It did certainly. And I think the other challenge with a startup is that you don't have any infrastructure, none at all, right? Mm -hmm. Everything is scrappy. Everything is manual, everything you're building as you go. And I think something that I was able to bring to the OnFleet table was my experience in a large organization particularly banks who are very good at infrastructure and process and communication from the top. They're also bad at other things, which I would just <laughs> try to ignore or leave out of my experience. And then the experience running my own company and realizing all of these things. And so I said, you know, how best can I balance the knowledge and understanding and acceptance of a lack of infrastructure and process and my knowledge of what process can do for an organization. So I've always invested heavily in integrations, internal process, sales operations, success operations. And I think that's allowed us with a very small team to be able to build a successful company. Obviously, it's not just me. That's just my area of responsibility. Also, a very good product at a perfect market timing which has gotten even more interesting as uh, we face a pandemic. (laughs) No, completely, completely. Now, you touched on it a little bit too. So since you've been on board, what are the countries you have been focusing on? And what's the reason for that? Was it conceptually like a target market you wanted to focus on first? Well, another reason I got along with the founders is because, as I said, two out of the three of them grew up abroad. And I'm a dual citizen with the UK. And so I didn't want to 
just stay in the US. I wanted the opportunity to sell abroad because it's fun and interesting and I like meeting new people. And frankly, there's opportunity that sometimes you don't have access to in the US as a small company that you can gain access to abroad. But I didn't want to make the same mistakes I did with my own company. So there were, I would say, not so much areas I initially focused aside from North America, of course, but there were definitely some areas I avoided early on. So South America and Asia in particular, both of which I had realized through pain and suffering really require local partners and a very different approach to commercialization. With North America, Western Europe, even the Middle East, you can really penetrate with a team that is globally distributed, uh, not necessarily on site. If you have a good product with not a whole lot of technical limitations that can be localized, language specifically, then you can be successful. And so we're in 95 countries at this point, um, but heavily concentrated, of course, North America and Western Europe. But some of our largest customers at this point are in the UK, France, and Germany. And we don't have one team member in Western Europe. So I think it just sort of shows what a good product and friendly people and (laughs) good support times and actually caring about your customers they will say, you know what, we know you're not here, but we trust mm-hmm. you and we're going to adopt you for software that they can't run their business without. Yeah. Now, was it important for Omfleet to focus on local deliveries? I know off the top, you kind of touched on it on the last mile and elaborating on what that is, as opposed to a broader delivery area like international or interstate. Is that because you find in the last mile is where most of the efficiency is potentially lost? Absolutely. So if you just think about the characteristics of those two use cases, right? In a distribution case, you have a finite number of points that you're delivering to consistently, right? So maybe I am a supplier and I'm delivering out to stores or fulfillment centers, warehouses, et cetera. I know where those are. And so I'm optimizing my route once a quarter at best because I might be adding an extra stop or reducing a stop, whatever it is. There's not a lot of continuous need for route optimization. And then the critical nature of that delivery being on time is not quite the same, right? As long as I get it there in the same day I expected or within a day or two, then we've got the use case solved, right? So there are needs there, but they start to be more around capacity of vehicles, fuel consumption, compliance. I mean, there's a lot of areas in that. And there's a lot of companies solving that problem, or at least trying to. Yeah. So that's really more big truck fleet management, maintenance windows, fuel consumption, et cetera. Yeah. Whereas the last mile you have, let's say I have 150 stops I need to do in a major metro area, which change Mm. every single day. And so given the same number of inputs, I need to successfully execute those deliveries with a changing labor force, changing traffic conditions. It starts to be much, much harder. So we said, all right, let's focus on the hard stuff. People are losing efficiency and money and no one seems to be innovating here. So let's focus on it. So do you find a specific industry where your solution is underserved and you think it greatly benefit for it? I think you mentioned construction only the last couple of years. They've they've started to jump on board and see a need for it. But do you see any other industries where they could use the software, but they're still a little hesitant? You know, it's funny. So restaurants get the most press 
And you'd think they're the most likely to adopt a solution like this. But the reality is most of the deliveries that are done with modern software and customer experience are actually being performed by venture-backed companies who are not profitable, but they're delivering this type of experience. Mm -hmm. Restaurants have hesitated to adopt software like this up until recently, of course, because of the fragmentation in their overall technology, right? So they uh, point to sales systems. There's thousands of brands out there and restaurant owners even big ones are really not that keen on adopting new technology. Some of them don't even have an e-commerce system at all. They're used to getting orders by phone or by these menuing systems, marketplace platforms. So obviously there's a come to Jesus moment happening right now because it's deliver or die as I I irreverently say, but they're the industry you would expect to adopt the quickest, but has traditionally been slow to adopt. Whereas others have basically said, look, this is a problem that I need to solve. And I've been doing this manually for too long and right. my business is growing. I need tools to fix this problem. And construction has been an interesting one because you ask, hey, how'd you hear about us? And it's, oh, well, I got a grocery delivery or a prescription delivery mm-hmm. or a cannabis delivery. Really? And now I've realized <laughs> that I need this for my business. And this will give me an edge over my competitors because I can yeah. provide an experience they can't. And so all of the industries in the background that you sort of don't think about in your day-to-day as a consumer are all quietly revolutionizing their delivery experience, operational experience, so that they can have an edge over their competition. You know, it's funny. I would have never thought the hospitality restaurant industry would be slow to adapt because, you know, their produce, food, beer, alcohol, you know, they need that on a constant basis, right? I've always felt construction has been slow to adapt, but they seem to be a little bit more so than us. It's very interesting. And then we break things down. So, you know, a restaurant is getting consistent deliveries from your Cisco, your US Foods, these distribution companies, and they've got decent experience, but that is a distribution problem. Again, that's a big truck showing up. And there's some more kind of rapid food service providers that will get stuff quickly with a modern experience to restaurants. But that part of it is less of a concern because they're like, well, I'm going to get my steaks or I'll just tell people I don't have steaks today. But that delivery to customers, think about your pizza and Chinese food delivery. Up until Domino's gave you the pizza tracker, you're really just kind of waiting and hoping it gets there in under an hour and that it's still hot. So the marketplace providers really pushed by Uber again with with Uber Eats and then DoorDash, obviously, and Postmates have shown restaurants that they need to fix this problem. And so some of them have, some mm-hmm. of them haven't. But on the surface, that's the one you'd expect to adopt the fastest. It's really been kind of slow. Yeah. Um, yeah. But other industries, produce, delivery, prescription drugs, now grocery in a very, very big way, alcohol, pharmacy. What I like to say is the vices, all the things you want to eat, drink, and smoke, those certainly adopt quickly. And grocery chains are adopting within the last two years because they're seeing, well, their produce business going to somebody like an imperfect produce and their pharmacy business going to somebody like a capsule or a medley. And so their alcohol business going to somebody like a a total wine. So Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, a lot of their store business is getting picked away. And in a pandemic, now, all of a sudden, it's mission critical. I mean, my grandfather's getting delivered groceries now. Yep. And that would have never happened without a pandemic. And so it's yep. really accelerated consumer adoption and made this even more critical. That, that's awesome. It sounds like you guys have really found a gap and kind of filtered. But I'm really curious, what's Onfleet's vision for the future? 
I'm sure you guys are always brainstorming concepts and ideas for capabilities. Can you share something of what your vision for the future is and, and how you're planning to adapt in this changing environment so quickly? Well, you know, we always have these sort of proximate objectives to incrementally improve what our customers need and what we can provide to them. So that may be improvements to route optimization, better ETA calculation, better automatic assignment, things like that. But when I think long-term, it's really doubling down on the deep tech side of our business. I think, once again, this is a key advantage and it's due to the design early on of the architecture, the infrastructure to collect really high resolution, high frequency location data. And doing that without completely draining a mobile phone's battery, right? Just kind of collecting it locally on the device, saving it, and then batch uploading it. We have six, seven, 10 times a second location data. We could build a map of London at street level detail with points on the map. It's pretty insane. And so, you know, how do we leverage that to add more of the AI machine learning type features for our customers so they can start to replace what was a human problem with tools that just kind of solve these for them. You know, our customers don't want to stare at a map all day and see where their drivers are. They want to really have exception management only. Right. So for us, it's about identifying those problems, solving them ourselves if we can within the software, and then surfacing the most critical ones that need human intervention to the right person at the right time. And that's a tough challenge, but that's one that we're all marching towards. And I think laying that early foundation of high quality data is going to help us get there, especially where other customers or other platforms collect uh, every couple seconds, every minute. Yep. Right. Almost real time, shall we say. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Real time for us is not near real time or sometimes real time or depends on what you're looking at. It's literally up to the second and many, many times a second. And that gives us an advantage, I think. Well, that's awesome. So what would you tell some of our listeners here, what might be the biggest opportunity to switch to a platform for OnFleet? Well, I mean, I think I would start with just saying, although it can seem like a big undertaking that requires lots of changes in the way you think and operate, the reality is that it's not. Many of our customers come on and they start in a small way and they take their spreadsheet operation and just move the spreadsheet into our system. So on day one, without changing anything, all of a sudden my drivers have maybe the app on their phone and a piece of paper to work with. And so you can ease your way into a platform like this without a whole lot of infrastructure and investment and try it for yourself. And what our customers will find very, very quickly in the first day, in the first week that, wow, this is a lot easier. This is a lot easier for me. It's a lot easier for my drivers. And then very, very quickly, it's a much better experience for my customer. And so don't wait, because if you do, your competitor will try it out instead. And whether you're using OnFleet or another tool out there, of course, I'm biased and want you to use OnFleet, but (laughs) I think most importantly, use something because this is the direction that the industry needs to go in order to make this sustainable and allow for scalability and provide a modern experience. So try something. And hopefully try on fleet in the process and let the experience for all the users really drive the payment. I love what you said, you know, that aha moment, as I like to say, with business owners and corporations and saying, 
you know what? There is a better way. I don't need to be stuck in my ways. You know, there is a better way and have that aha moment, I think, is important. And the quicker they get that, the better, right? But why don't you tell us a little bit about where our listeners can find more information about you? How can they reach out to you and figure out if it's the right solution for them? Yeah, I mean, another differentiator between us and much of the traditional and even the modern logistics software industry is that we try and put everything transparently on our website. So you don't have to call someone to even see what the software does. Everything's at onfleet.com. All of our pricing, at least our standard sort of smaller self-service plans are on the website. There's a 14-day free trial. So without talking to us, you can really evaluate it for yourself. And of course, we'd love to help. We've done this for hundreds and hundreds of companies now around the world. We're experienced in many, many use cases, construction included. And so you can shoot us a note from the website or email sales at onfleet.com. If you want to talk to me specifically, I'm on LinkedIn. Once again, Andrew Travis, and I'm the VP of sales and customer success. So I see the gamut of our customers getting online and onboarding, as well as growing and scaling with us as an organization. All of our success team has experience in the logistics industry. And so all of our support teams are highly technical. So you don't have to get escalated before you get an answer to what's typically a hard question. So we try and make it really, really easy to work with us to try it out and to crawl before you walk and walk before you run because no one turns on a new process in delivery overnight. So it's fantastic, Andrew. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been great. You know, I'm hoping to potentially be using your system a little bit more up here. Lord knows I could save some time waiting on projects from materials. Certainly, certainly we'd love to help. I hope you've been getting tons of valuable information on the so many different concepts and ideas out there. I know I sure definitely have. But we've got so much more coming up over the next couple of months, including more topics on sustainability, passive homes, living in place, marketing, just to name a few. And they all tie into the construction industry. You can check out our website, raulfaria.com slash podcast. That's R-A-H-U-L-F-A-R-I-A.com slash podcast. And sign up for our newsletter. We share so much more detail on every single episode, including key conversations with timestamps on our upcoming guests. We also showcase what's coming up next week with highlights of our previous episodes. So if you're interested, be the first one to find out what's going on and sign up on our newsletter. Now, on our next show, Brittany Harris joins me to talk about how Koala's Flow are changing mindsets in the industry with their platform that actually provides quantifiable data-driven sustainability. 